Good morning. Second Samuel 6 is what we're going to take a look at today, and then we'll review that on Wednesday evening also. So we'll get a thorough look at Second Samuel chapter 6, just prior to one of the most important chapters in the Scripture, Second Samuel chapter 7, which we'll be moving into before long. So let me go ahead and pull up this um, title of this. Out of the slide. Yeah, I got that right. Okay. God reigns on David's parade, and that's from 2 Samuel chapter 6. And in that particular context there, David makes Jerusalem, or has made Jerusalem, the capital of Israel now. And then David wants to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And then we'll see in this chapter that God strikes Uzzah as they transport the ark. So it's kind of an interesting, mysterious kind of occasion there. And so we have to take a look at that to see kind of exactly what's going on and why God does that. So three points. God reigns on David's parade. Home at last, when they finally get the ark to Jerusalem. And then as it finishes up in Second Samuel chapter 6, we'll see some sour grapes and lessons learned there. Now, before we jump right into this lesson, I want to give you a little tidbit of information in regards to a location in Israel today. Today, So this is, this is not 3,000 years ago. It'll relate to what happened 3,000 years ago, but I'm just explaining the way it is today in Israel. In the nation of Israel, there's Highway 1, Route 1, that runs all the way across to the country. And so it starts off in the east in the Jordan Valley. It runs across the Jordan through Jerusalem. And then as it goes through Jerusalem, it starts to angle kind of north, and it continues west, and it goes further north and west until it goes clear up to Tel Aviv. So the two main points on that route is Tel Aviv to the west, and then it's Jerusalem more in the middle of the country there. Now, just outside of Jerusalem, about eight or nine miles approximately, there's a little town, there's a little village there. And people drive by, they don't pay much attention to it. Tour buses, as they drive by, they don't point it out. But one of the things that is interesting in that particular location today is this. In Israel, in that little village, that little town there, there's an American diner. And it has a very American theme. It's also referred to as the Elvis Inn. <laughs> so people go there and they visit that diner and it has Elvis decor. And they play Elvis music. And out front there is a bronze statue that is 16 feet high of Elvis. And people stop and they snap pictures. Now here's the interesting part about this, I believe. That little town, that little village where the Elvis Inn is and that bronze statue now stands, 3,000 years ago that was referred to as Kiriath Jerium. That's where the ark was located. And I sometimes think now, when they stop and they snap those pictures, if they really knew, before the king of rock and roll came there, there was another king that visited there. And his name was David. And that's what we're going to talk about today. When David came to Kiriath, Jerim. We've been studying the books of First and Second Samuel on Wednesday evening, as it was mentioned. And one of the things that we've noticed is that originally First and Second Samuel was all one book, but now it's been divided up within our Bibles. And so as we take a look at First Samuel chapter, or as we take a look at First Samuel in general, we have stated that the theme of First Samuel is God will exalt the humble and he will humble the proud. And then as you take a look at Second Samuel, 2 Samuel is really about King David. 
And he has taken this young shepherd boy from 1 Samuel. And now in 2 Samuel, he has been exalted and he is king over Israel. And we notice the theme of 2 Samuel is stated that triumph is followed by tragedy. And really in the first part of the book, you see David exalted. and You see him having a lot of success. And so this humble shepherd boy certainly is being lifted up. But then eventually, David makes some huge mistakes. And then he will have to be humbled also. But right now at this particular time in the first part of 2 Samuel, especially in 2 Samuel chapter 5, as far as David is concerned, it's lollipops and rainbows. (laughs) Because David now in 2 Samuel chapter 5, the country is now united. He is now king over all Israel. And David is having huge success against their arch nemesis, which is the Philistines. And God gives him guidance and tells him to go out against the Philistines. And he defeats them not once but twice in chapter 5. And he has driven them back close to their original territory. And not only has David been able to do that, David has been able to conquer Jerusalem, which formerly had been held by the Jebusites. And they had acted like, you can never take this city. And David, with God's help, takes that city. And so now he desires to make Jerusalem the capital of Israel. And he has made it the political capital. But David also wants to make it the spiritual capital capital of Jerusalem. And so in order to do that, he knows that he needs to bring that ark that is in Kiriath-Jerim. He needs to bring that to Jerusalem. So you know what David does? He makes plans. (laughs) David makes big plans for bringing that ark to the city of Jerusalem, to the city of David. And we will notice that as we get into this that he will have the whole country there. And all the main leaders will be there. And David makes big plans except David leaves out one very critical point in making those plans. And that's really the lesson from 2 Samuel chapter 6. And so... We'll notice first the first seven verses. I won't reread that again because Mark read that for us this morning down through verse 10. But what's taking place in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and the account there that is recorded in 2 Samuel is very brief and kind of to the point. So if you want a more thorough explanation of what's actually transpiring here in 2 Samuel 6, you want to go to 1 Chronicles and read about chapters 13 through 15. And you'll get a fuller picture of what's taking place here in 2 Samuel 6. But on this particular occasion, David has made plans and he has decided we need to bring that ark to Jerusalem. So he gets all of the leaders. And then most of the entire nation goes to Kiriath-Jerim. And it's about, as I mentioned earlier, it's a distance of about maybe eight to nine miles from Kiriath-Jerim back to the city of Jerusalem. And so they decide on this particular occasion, maybe a good thing would do, is to go there and take this new cart. And it's being pulled by a couple of oxen. And we'll just go there to the house of Abinadab, And he's got a couple of sons named Uzzah and Ahio. And they are priests also. And we'll just load that ark on that cart. And it won't take us too long to get that thing to Jerusalem. And along the way, this is going to be like a huge parade. You ever seen like the Macy's Day, the New Year's Day parade? That's almost kind of like what this is like. And that's what's going on. And so they go there and lay load that ark. 
and here's Uzzah, and here's Ahio, and they are two priests, and they're sort of leading the way. And they load it, and off they go, and everything's going well, and everybody's celebrating and having a good time until they come to the floor of Nacon's threshing floor. The The oxen stumble. The cart shakes. The ark is in danger of falling off. Uzzah reaches up and stabilizes it. And at that moment, God strikes him dead. Now I want you to kind of get a picture in your mind of what that was like. The closest thing that I could come up with for an illustration, in this country, Oftentimes, whenever someone has passed away, kind of the sort of American tradition is, there is a memorial service someplace, and then oftentimes there is a burial site someplace else. And so there will be a hearse that will transport the casket with the deceased to that place where they are going to be buried. But in other countries, it's not done exactly like that. And in some countries, there may be a memorial service and then in order to transport that person to the place of burial, what they will do is they will take and they will hoist that casket up on their shoulders or above them and they will carry it there. And I've actually seen this. Maybe you have too on television, a news report, newsreel. And a person deceased is being carried. And there's a big crowd. And there seems to be sort of bumping and pushing. And then tragedy of tragedies. They drop that casket. And in that moment, it is shock. It is almost like horror. That's what just took place. The ark is about to fall. Uzzah reaches up to stabilize it. God strikes him dead. This parade is over. And this celebration stops right there. And David's reaction, he's angry. And then he's fearful. And everybody's wondering what just happened? What went wrong? And what's the problem? Think about that. Why did David immediately become angered? Lord, don't you understand? I have planned for this day. And Lord, aren't we doing many wonderful things for you? And aren't we doing many great things in your name? And aren't we honoring you by the parade that we have decided to assemble? And then as it gets struck dead, and David's immediate reaction is anger, I don't get it. Let me tell you, a number of years ago, while I was still employed with General Motors. I had a job title for a while, get this. Problem solver. (laughs) I said, I do a lot of problem chasing. I don't know how many problems we actually solve. But one of the things you come to realize if you work in that capacity is, if you're going to solve any problem, the very first thing you've got to do is you've got to identify the problem. And that's kind of where they are at this moment. And David's first reaction is he's angry. What's the problem? And then his anger turns to fear, which is actually a good thing. And then down in about verse 9, David actually begins to focus in the right area. And he asks this question. How can the ark... Come to me. 
Now, we're getting closer to the problem. David wanted God's presence. God wanted to be in their presence. So they planned to transport this ark. And then something goes terribly wrong. And then David finally asks the question that should have been asked from the very get-go. How shall that ark come to us? Well, one of the ways you begin to discover or we can discover what went wrong, what the problem was, is if you take a look back in Israel's history. Way back in Exodus, the 20th chapter, about verses 8 through 22, is we find out where God had given instruction on how they might build the tabernacle and how they might build that ark. And God had given very specific instructions along those lines. And one of the things that he had given very specific instructions about was this ark. The ark of the covenant. And he had told them that whenever you make this ark, and I'm going to give you just kind of an illustration because I pointed it out on Wednesday evening as we were talking about this. That ark was just about the size of this table. Just slightly, just slightly bigger, a little wider, a little longer, slightly taller. But it gives you a pretty good visual about how big it was. But on the top of that, there was a covering, a lid, so to speak. And attached to the top of that, there were two cherubim. And the two cherubim were facing each other. But they were looking down. And they had their wings outstretched. And as they looked down, they were looking at the top of that Ark of the Covenant or that lid. And that particular area right there was referred to as the mercy seat. And God had told them through Moses... This is where I'll meet you. And when he had the tabernacle and all the perimeters set up, and when he had the altar, and when he had the labor, and when he had the holy place, and when he had the the lampstand, and when he had the table of showbread, and when he had the curtain dividing the most holy place, in that most holy place set the Ark of the Covenant. And it was only once a year that the high priest would go in there and he would sprinkle blood on that mercy seat and he would offer blood for himself and then for the people. And when that had been all erected, the Lord descended on that tabernacle. And then it says the glory of the Lord filled it. And he told them, this is where I'll meet you. At that ark. At that mercy seat. And this is where I will speak to you. And something else he told them about that ark. Because they were camped there at the, Mount of foot, at the foot of Mount Sinai. And eventually he would say, we've camped here long enough and we're going to move. And we're going to head towards the promised land. And whenever that was all packed up, he gave very specific instructions on how that was to be done. And then he gave very specific instructions on how that ark was to be transported and who it was that would transport it. That ark had been designed with rings, two rings on each side. And there would be poles that would be inserted in those rings. And then that ark was to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites, on the shoulders of the priests. And this is the way you do it. And this is the way you do it every time. That ark had been with them since they were at Sinai. And when they traveled through the wilderness... They took that with them. And eventually, when they crossed the Jordan after 40 years, 
It was that ark that led them across. And when they got over on the other side and they camped at Gilgal, that ark was there. And when they were finally ready to go up and take that very first city, Jericho, they were first instructed, you take that ark and you go march around that city. And every place they went in that promised land, that ark went with them. And they've had that ark for close to 500 years now. And they carried it until, until 1 Samuel, the fourth chapter. The Israelites are going out to battle against the Philistines. The Israelites know it's a challenge. They don't really inquire of the Lord. They just decide it would be a good idea. Let's go get the ark and let's carry that thing out here. And they carry it out there like it's some kind of lucky charm. And if we have it, then the Lord is automatically going to help us against our enemies and we'll defeat them. But God had not told them to do that. And so you know what happens? The Philistines defeat them. And the Philistines end up taking that ark. The most cherished article of furnishings for that tabernacle. And the Philistines now have it. Not only did they defeat God's people, they took the ark from them. So in 1 Samuel, the 5th chapter and the 6th chapter, what you have there is the occasion when that most sacred item is in the hands of the Philistines. And while they have it, you know what God does? He plagues those Philistines until they finally realize we don't really want this thing. (laughs) Now, before we go any further, I want to ask you a question. Here is the most sacred item in all of Israel. And it is now in the hands of the Philistines. They don't worship God. They worship all kinds of pagan gods. They think the reason why they have that ark is because their pagan gods have given them victory. But God shows them while they have the ark, not a good idea to be handling this because this is sacred and he plagues them. So let me ask you this question. What's worse What's worse? The holy things of God to be in the hands of unbelievers or the holy things of God to be in the hands of irreverent believers. So God plagues the Philistines until the point that they decide we got to get rid of this thing. So you know what they do? They take a cart and they load that ark on there. They attach a couple of cows to it and they send that thing off. Good riddance. And it heads for Beth Shemesh. And there's a whole story, a lesson that could go along with that. But that's where it ends up first in Beth Shemesh. And when it gets there, there's some priests that show up. And the priests take that ark, they unload it, the priests, that's good. And they take that cart and they bust it up and they build a good fire and they take those two cows and they cut them up and they sacrifice them. And it's there at Beth Shemesh. And it goes okay for a little while until the men of Beth Shemesh do something really ignorant. They decide... Hey, while it's here, 
Let's peek inside and see what's in there. You want to know what happens? 50,070 men die. You don't do that. God had given instructions a long time ago. You don't touch it and you don't look in it. And they didn't treat it the way it should be treated. And God struck over 50,000 of them dead. So you know what they do? We got to get rid of it. <laughs> and so they get a hold of Kiriath-Jerim. That's where Abinadab is. Let's send it up there. And so that's where it is. So when you come to 2 Samuel 6 and the house of Abinadab, the ark is there. And it's in his house. And now, about 70 years later, David is king over Israel. And he says, we need to get that ark. And we need to bring it to Jerusalem. Sounds like a good idea, right? So David has him build a new cart. And let's go get that ark. And that's what they do. And all the leading men and all of Israel. And if you read in First Chronicles, David had a talk with them. Wouldn't this be a good idea? This would be a very good idea, King David. <laughs> Let's go get that thing. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> and they build the ark, or, or the cart. And they get a couple of oxen, and they head for the house of Abinadab. Bring it out here, load it on here. We're ready to go eight or nine miles. It won't take any time at all. And they load it, and they're celebrating. They're having a good time until they come to that threshing floor. And that's where Uzzah dies. And what you can see is that's just a culmination of a series of serious mistakes. The ark was a holy, sacred item. And it was to be treated that way. And God had given them instructions almost 500 years earlier. Others, others had violated his word. And there were serious consequences because of their violation. And so they had God's word. They had examples of what happens when you violate God's word. And it hasn't been that long since this ark has been in Beth Shemesh and now it is in Kiriath Jerim and God killed 50,000. Do you think word got out that God struck 50,000 people dead? And yet, when they get ready to move the ark, they decide to load it on a cart. And now in 2 Samuel 6 and verse 9, David says, how can the ark come to me? David, you're king. You should ask that question from the get-go. But eventually, they get it there. I'm going to read this time from 2 Samuel chapter 6. And I'm going to read verse 12 through 19. So now the ark has been turned aside into the house of Obed-Edom. After they started that transporting, and after Uzzah was struck, David decided we can't move it. And so it's turned aside into the house of Obed-Edom. Verse 12, now it was told King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of, the God, of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. 
So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. So for three months, the ark sits in the house of Obed-Edom. And you kind of have to think, us has been struck dead. There's a hush that falls over everything. And so for three months, that ark sits in the house of Obed-Edom. And you've got to think David must be feeling kind of down at this time. And what happened? And what went wrong? And all of Israel had been involved in that celebration until that happened. And they've got to be thinking, what happened? What went wrong? But we're told in this context here that while the ark is sitting in the house of Obed-Edom, it is now reported to David that his house is being blessed because of the ark. Well, it's a process of elimination, isn't it? Oh, I guess the ark isn't the problem. So it must be something else. That's the problem. And so this is very brief because then after David is told that that ark is a blessing, that's kind of like reemphasizing what he believed from the beginning. To have that ark with us would be a blessing. To have God with us would be a blessing. To have his presence with us would be a blessing. And so as you read, over in First Chronicles, the 15th chapter, a fuller explanation. David finally comes to the realization and he tells them, we did not seek the ordinance before we did that. We did not do it according to the ordinance of God. So at first, David is angry. And then it turned to fear. And then that fear was healthy because it made him stop and think, what's the problem? Until David finally realizes, oh, God's word tells us how to handle sacred things. And so now he will tell them how to transport this ark. And so in 2 Samuel 6, 12 through 17, David once again assembles all of Israel. And if you're looking at 1 Chronicles 15, now it's a division of the Levites, the Kohathites, the ones who are supposed to carry that ark. Now they're going to carry it. And so they head for the house of Obed-Edom. And they're all there once again. And David gives the instructions on how it should be transported. Now I want you to just stop and think about that for just a moment. Three months ago, we started to transport this thing and somebody got struck dead. And so now David tells the Kohathites, you carry it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it says they go six steps. So I want you to stop and think about that. Do you think those six steps were kind of intense? It's like, okay, gentlemen, I need a couple of priests over here. I need a couple of priests over here. 
insert those poles in the insert. Are we ready? I guess. Grab a hold of the poles and on my signal, lift. Ready? Lift. And up it goes. Nobody's dead. Okay. Let's step forward. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop. Do you think those six steps maybe were a little intense? Before we go any further, let's give sacrifice to the Lord. And that's what they do. And then after that's over, they pick it up again. And you can imagine that at that point, maybe confidence is starting to gain just a little bit. And then as they go further, they start to feel a little more comfortable. And then pretty soon, maybe it's a smile starts to come over their face. And then pretty soon, we're doing it the right way. And you know what happens? The celebration, once again, starts to break out. And by the time they get to the city, you see what David is doing? He is jumping, he is leaping, he is shouting, he is in celebrating. <laughs> that they are now going to get that ark into the city of David. God's presence is going to be with them. Joy. Doing it God's way led to celebration. So let me ask you another question. As the ark is being brought to the city of Jerusalem, was God coming home or had they learned how to come to God? See, they thought they were moving God. And you know what God did? He moved them. You want my presence? This is the way to do it. See, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, so I want to mention it again. There's a big difference in saying God is everywhere and saying God is here. There's a big difference between saying God is everywhere and God is in our presence. When they built that tabernacle and when they built that ark and they did it exactly the way that God told them to do, then his glory descended upon that tabernacle and filled it. And he said, here is where I will meet you. And from here is where I will speak to you. It is here that I will be in your presence. You want God in your presence? Then you got to do it God's way. So was God coming home? Or were they coming to God? Were they moving God? Or was God moving them? So finally. Sour grapes. And lessons learned. 2 Samuel 6. I'm going to read verse 16 again. Then I'm going to skip down and read verse 20 through 23. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Michael, Saul's daughter. That's, my, that's also David's wife. But at this particular time, she's referred to as Saul's daughter because Saul had been the first king over Israel. And Saul's daughter looked through a window and she saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. Verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house 
to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more undignified than this and will be humbled in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by, that, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Michael, Saul's daughter, David's wife. She sees him leaping and dancing and rejoicing before the Lord. And she looks out there and she despises him. And in verse 20, in the latter part of verse 20, it says, How glorious. Can you hear the sarcasm sarcasm in her voice? How glorious was the king of Israel today. Uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. You know what she's saying? Where's your robe? Where's your crown? You're the king. And you're out there walking among the common folks. And you're not wearing your robes. You're not distinguishing yourself at all. And you've got on that linen ephod. Oh, how glorious was the king of Israel today. (laughs) So she's not rejoicing. Because David has figured out what went wrong the first time. And she's not rejoicing. Because God's presence will now be with them. Now what she's concerned about is. David, you're not acting like the king. And you're out there celebrating with the priests and with all the people. And you know why that is? Because David's not concerned with what people think. He's concerned with what God thinks. And so in verse 21, he says to her, It was before the Lord who chose me Instead of your father. I do not think for a moment. That that is a slam against her. Or against Saul. I think David is pointing out something to her. Why? Why did God choose me? Michael. It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father. And all his house. To appoint me. As ruler over the people of the Lord. And over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. Michael, you know why God chose me over your father? Because your father loved being king, Michael. And he held that higher than his consideration of the God who made him king. He was more concerned about what people thought of him than what God thought of him. And Michael, the dancing I was doing that you saw him, that was before the Lord. I'm more concerned with what God thinks than what men thinks. Essentially what he's saying to her is, Michael, you're acting like your father. You're a chip off the old block. And in verse 23, it says Michael had no children till the day of her death. Do you remember what I told you the theme of 1 Samuel is? God will exalt the humble. And he will humble the proud. Michael, you think you're something because you're the king's daughter? You're of royal lineage. You are a princess. And yet you won't celebrate because God is now with us. And you're more concerned about what the people might think of me than what God thinks of me. In that day and time for a woman to not have children was a disgrace. And in verse 23 says that she had no children to the day of her death. What's that saying? God never exalted her because Michael never humbled herself before God. 
Michael, if that's the attitude you got, you know what will happen? You miss the celebration. <laughs> you miss the celebration. And then there's Uzzah. That ark had been in the house of Abinadab for 70 years. Do you know what that means? That means that when he was born, that ark was already in that house. And do you think there's a danger of becoming too familiar, too casual with the things of God? And isn't that exactly the warning that Paul gives to the church at Corinth whenever they partake of the Lord's Supper? That they should rightly discern the body and blood of Christ and those who don't will drink damnation unto themselves? In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter said, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, and if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each man's works, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay in fear. Conduct yourself in fear, in reverent fear. Romans 15 and verse 4. Whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning. That's the same thing that they had in that day and time. They had God's word. He had told them how to handle that ark. And they were casual. And they were irreverent. And they sought to do it their way instead of God's way. And when David finally figured out how can we have God's presence with us, then he rejoiced and he celebrated. And they brought his presence to the city of Jerusalem. Uzzah, he was a priest. And he helped with loading that ark on that cart. And when it shook, he decided to reach up Stabilize it. And God said, that's not the way a priest does it. And he struck him dead. You're a priest of mine? You're a servant of mine? Then you show it by doing it the way I've instructed you. And then finally there's David. And he learned to be in God's presence. It has to be according to his word. And sometimes we look at this occasion where David is wearing this ephod. And we think, well, David's from the wrong tribe. Well, David was not acting in that capacity. What David was doing in wearing that ephod was he was identifying with those who would serve God. And that's what he's saying by wearing this ephod. I want God to know I'm king, but I serve you. I know who's king. And I will rejoice and I will celebrate and I will dance before him. It is before the Lord. It's interesting when you go clear back to the book of Exodus. When God had first brought Israel to the foot of Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6, He said, I will make you a kingdom of priests. I want the whole nation to serve me. That's what Peter says to Christians in 1 Peter chapter 2 and about verse 9. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. So I want to ask you once again, what's worse? The way the sacred things of God were handled when they were in the hands of unbelievers or the way that they were being handled when they were in the hands of those who were supposed to be God's people? And so we have to ask ourselves, do we treat God's things like God's people. I'm going to close with this. We oftentimes think about the work of the church, right? And we say the work of the church falls into three categories. It's evangelism. It's benevolence. It's edification. Do we go about evangelism the way God has stated? Do we handle sacred things the way God has told us to? 
you can go down the street. And you can see churches that are filled, and we talk about mega churches, and they provide music and entertainment and do all these things. And it said, look, we're filling the building. But I want to ask you this, where did God say to do that? So are you going to handle sacred things in unholy ways and expect God's blessing? It's not going to happen. And so then there's benevolence. And sometimes people think it's overly confining to say that benevolence from the Lord's people is to be directed towards the Lord's people. And that money that is used out of his treasure should be used for the Lord's people. And why don't we just distribute it generally? Because he didn't tell us to. So you handle sacred things in a sacred way. And then finally, there's edification. And sometimes it's recreation and entertainment that people want to supply. And we say, this is the way we'll build people up. We're not trying to build them up physically. (laughs) We're not trying to get pumped up. We're trying to build them up spiritually. And God's word tells us how to do that. God's people are sacred things. And you handle sacred things in sacred ways. Last passage, Matthew 7 and verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now watch it. But Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? Did we not cast out demons in thy name? Did we not do many wonderful works in thy name? David organized a parade. (laughs) And then verse 23, he says to them, Depart from me. I never knew you. So as I was preparing for this lesson, and I was looking up Kerry F. Jeriam, and I came across the Elvis Diner, <laughs> and I thought to myself, when people pull up in front, and they roll down the window, and they stick their iPhone out there, <laughs> and they take a snapshot of that bronze statue of Elvis. On the same location, where that which is now profane at one time there sat something that was truly sacred and God was showing us this is how you handle sacred things you do it my way and by the way we do it tells God whether or not we're truly his people. That's 2 Samuel 6. I want to extend the invitation. Jesus said that he that believes, Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If you're a child of God, not been living as you should, it's God's word that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And the blood of his son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we can help you in any way, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.